Well, I want to get into my message, going to be wrapping up this series that we've been in called The Rebuild, and, and I got to give you a little bit of background here because there are a lot of times that as the pastor, I get to see things happen that you don't get to see, but I wanted to like pull back the curtain a little bit to let you see a few things that are going on here uh, because I feel like God has done some, some behind the scenes work to get us ready for this message, okay? So, so number one, okay? I was gone last week. I was at a wedding, really. You know, I officiated a wedding for my wife's cousin. You know, great to go and do those things. I love to be a part of that for family. But Jessica Bryan, Pastor Jessica was here last week. How many of you enjoyed Pastor Jessica last week? Yeah, fantastic. And got a chance to watch her online. Just really loved the word that she gave. But here's the thing evangelists, when they, when they come to speak, they'll contact me and they'll be like, hey, pastor, you know, I want to come and share a word. What are you preaching on? You know, I'll try to see, preach something that's right in line with what you're preaching. Uh, or if you'd like me to, I'll pray about it and just see what God wants me to say. Well, I told her, I was like, why don't you just pray about it and you just, you just speak on whatever God wants you to speak on. And she comes in and she really, she speaks a message that's right in line with our Rebuild series. I mean, just right in line with it. So I was watching last week, we were on our way home, and I'm in the car watching online, and I'm like, wow, Pastor Jessica is getting this. And then this morning, okay, I come in, and I know that the message that God has put on my heart, I wrote two weeks ago, okay, refreshing my memory, and then I'm listening to worship, and, and, and part of the message today is dealing with our hearts. How many times did you hear us sing about our hearts in worship this morning? Now, I know you'd like to think we're just super well-coordinated. We're not that good, okay? That is God. That's the Holy Spirit who put on Pastor Paul's heart, hey, these are the, the songs that I want you to be leading in on this Sunday. And God just works all of those things together. And really, it's so good we couldn't do it, all right? And, and so I just bring all of that to your attention to say, God has put in a lot of background work to get us ready for this message this morning. So I want you to hear it. All right. I want you to listen to it. And and yeah, it's tough. Okay. It's not going to be one of those that you leave and you're just like, yay, that was so cool, pastor. All right. It's a tough one. All right. But it's so important to us because it's part of the rebuild process. How many of you want to see the church advancing forward and knocking down the gates of hell for our community? Listen, this is one of those steps that we've got to take, all right? This is one of those steps. So I'm going to be going to Ezra chapter 9. Uh, you'll be able to follow me on the screens, or if you brought a Bible device, your phone with you. Uh, if not, there are Bibles in the pews, which are the New Living Translation, which I'll be reading from. I know the book of Ezra can be a little difficult to find, uh, so we got you the page number is 400 in those Bibles in the pews so that you can look that up. Uh, but I want to read for you what, what's taking place here. And this is after the temple's been rebuilt, after all the excitement, after all the joy, after all the fanfare, there's this moment in time which Ezra has with some of the leaders. And this is what we're going to read. When these things had been done, the Jewish leaders came to me and said, many of the people of Israel and even some of the priests and Levites, the Levites were the people who were supposed to watch over the, the temple, They have not kept themselves separate from the other peoples living in the land. They have taken up the detestable practices of these local people. And again, you can read all those different people groups. Jump down to verse 3. When I heard this, I tore my cloak and my shirt, pulled hair from my head and beard, and sat down utterly shocked. Then all who trembled at the words of God, the God of Israel, came and sat with me because of this outrage committed by the returned exiles. And I sat there utterly appalled until the time of the evening sacrifice. It says, I sat there utterly appalled. What does that mean? Well, let me help you to describe that. I'm a Broncos fan. 
And, and last Sunday, something very unrighteous happened to the Denver Broncos. And can I say, I was utterly appalled. So just hone in on that feeling, okay? When you're watching your team get the worst beating in 56 years, okay? And you're just like, okay, I'm utterly appalled right now. I'm just going to go pray. We make light of that stuff, but here, here's the reality. Ezra's looking over all the things that, that are happening, and there's, just get the, the idea of all the hope that is surrounding Israel right now. We've returned from exile. We got sent away into captivity. Why? Because we'd turned our backs on God. We had worshiped other gods. We had allowed all the things that God told us not to allow into our lives, and it destroyed our relationship with God, so we had to go into captivity. They go into that, they're working their way back. We've rebuilt the temple. We're living back in the place. The wall's not rebuilt yet. They don't have a king. They don't really have government. Um, it's just a group of people, a remnant who's in this place. And you would think that given the history of what has taken place, that the people in this place would be like, wow, we really need to keep in mind how we got to where we are today to make sure that we don't end up there again or that we can move forward. But they don't. And then we have this moment where the leaders come and they tell uh, Ezra, some of the priests and the Levites and the leaders of the city and the people, even though God told us not to marry into the pagan peoples, right? It says, don't give your daughters to their sons and don't give your sons to their daughters. Because if you do, you'll invite the practices of those people among us. Deuteronomy chapter seven, when he's telling them this, you'll invite that into you and it will destroy my relationship with you. And he says, we've rebuilt the temple, we've taken care of the outward, but there's something inward that has to be addressed. And, and that's where we're at. Let's start addressing sin. That's where they were at. Let's address sin right now, okay? Because we all want to see awesome things happening for the church. We all want to see a restoration. We all want to see the power of God moving in such a way that our friends, family members, neighbors, coworkers, and even enemies are getting saved, Right? Ezra's looking at this and he says, there's something we've got to take care of. There's something we've got to take care of if we want that to happen. Because there's unrepented sin in the community that has to be taken care of. Now, again, I know we don't like to talk about sin. All right, we hate that. Listen, I've had people, can I just be honest with you? In my, I've been in ministry for 20 years. I've been a lead pastor for 12. I've had people leave services and the church when I've preached on sin. I don't want to hear about that. I literally tell me, I don't want to hear about that. We shouldn't be listening and talking about sin in our services. We need to be talking about the love of Jesus. We need to be talking about the mercy of Jesus, the grace of God. Please, without diminishing from any of those things, the love of God is amazing. The grace of God is spectacular. It has paved the way for our righteousness. But as we're going to celebrate communion in a little bit here, what is the very thing that Jesus came to die for? Sin. That's the very thing that he came to die for. And I want to look at the words of Jesus because I think that there are times and places where we can get a little confused about what Jesus has accomplished because we're living in an era that even in the church, right, we're promoting sinful practices as though they are acceptable. We're, it's okay, it's okay. God accepts sin. God understands sin. Uh, we might even go as far as God's okay with it. He's cool with it, right? His grace is sufficient so we can go on sinning even though the Bible says so specifically this is not what Jesus came to do. But let's look at Jesus' words himself. Because Jesus gives what is called the Sermon on the Mount. You ever heard the Sermon on the Mount before? Two full, or three, sorry, chapter five, six, and seven, three full chapters of Matthew 
where Jesus is speaking and teaching the crowds. And he's like, you need to understand why I'm here, what I'm trying to accomplish, and what the purpose of God is right now. And this is what he speaks to. So Matthew 5, verses 17 to 20. He says, don't misunderstand why I have come. All right, he's got the attention, right? Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writing of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore even the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. What a challenging statement from the mouth of Jesus. He says, don't get me wrong, guys. Don't misunderstand why I'm here. I did not come to overthrow the concepts of righteousness, of holiness. I did not come to take all the things that Moses and the prophets wrote and just say, well, we don't need that anymore. Tear it up. He said, righteousness still matters. Holiness still matters. He goes, no, here's what, here's what you need to hear. I came to fulfill their purpose. So what, what, what's the purpose? What is the purpose behind the law and what Jesus came to accomplish? Well, he goes on to outline it for the next two and a half chapters. And, and I pulled a bunch of information out of those two and a half chapters, but there are probably some that I missed. But here are literally 20 things that Jesus speaks to, and all of them come back down to this. You want to know what he says is really the issue? Your heart. It's not about your adherence to the law. It's not about your ability to look the part, sound the part, to keep yourself from doing bad things. It is about your heart. So he starts off, and, and I'll, I'll read down these really quickly for you. There's 20 of them, okay? Matthew 5, 20 to, 21 to 22. He says, being angry with someone is just as bad as murdering them, and anger is a heart issue. Now, now let's think about this for a second. Hopefully, and I'm going to say this with a, a little bit of hopeful confidence, none of you in here have ever murdered anybody, right? Please nod. Okay, just wanted to see everybody. Okay. If you're online, please. Here's what Jesus is saying. You look at the law and you say, I've never murdered anybody. I'm good. But Jesus says, that's superficial. The fact that you've never ended someone's life does not remove the guilt, the sin, the stain of your desire for harm for someone else. And he goes, and if you are filled with hatred for someone, that's a hard issue. And in your heart, you have murdered that person. He goes a little bit further, all right? Thinking that you can have broken relationships with people and still serve God, it's a hard issue. Sexual, impure thoughts about someone who is not your spouse is just as bad as having an affair. Now again, right? Ten Commandments, right? The Ten Commandments is like, hey, this is easily lined out. We're not even talking about those strange parts of the law where it says don't wear two different kinds of clothing at the same time, all right? This is in the Ten Commandments, you shall not kill, all right? You shall not commit adultery. Great, I didn't do that. 
Jesus then says, if you've looked at someone who is not your spouse and you have lusted after them, it's just as if you had committed adultery with that person. Why? Jesus said, because it's a heart issue. This is about your heart. This is not about what you're doing physically with your body. And please listen to me. It's terrible to, the re- to see the reality that the number one grossing business in just about the whole world is pornography, sexual slavery, people being sold into slavery because of this level of brokenness. And it is so perverse and broken. And we have people, and, and listen, there have been statistics of it even within the church. And I gotta speak to this as a reality, Okay. That even within the church, there is an exception and excuse for looking at these things and acting like they're acceptable. Jesus says, if you're doing that, you are sinning against God and your spouse every time you click on that website. Every time you watch that movie, every time, every time, it's, it's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. He keeps going. Divorcing because we can't get along, it's a heart issue. Failure to honor your word is a heart issue. The desire for revenge is a heart issue. Hatred for your enemies is a heart issue. Struggling to be more like Jesus is a heart issue. Desiring recognition for your generosity is a heart issue. Thinking that prayer is about you and your words is a heart issue. Openly fasting so that people will think you are pious is a heart issue. Refusing to honor God with your finances is a heart issue. Worrying about your life, judging others and ignoring your own sin, giving up on prayer, mistreating people, thinking that the pathway to heaven will be easy. A person's true heart is revealed by the fruit of their lives. And if Jesus doesn't have your heart, you're not his true disciple. And then this, choosing to build your life on anything other than the foundation which has been set by Jesus is a heart issue. Jesus is speaking of these things, and he, I mean, he's not pulling any punches, okay? Jesus didn't really do that, all right? In three years of ministry, he had a lot to get done. And he speaks to this so directly, he goes, you are, are trying to make yourselves look better, sound better, act better, and, and trying to cover up the things that are going on in your life. And listen, just as a warning, if you go to one of our life groups, and I hope you do, and you go to one of them where, where we discuss the sermon, one of our life applications questions this week is, what are the things that your heart's struggling with? You want to know why that's so hard to answer? Because we're conditioned and trained to think, cover it up cover it up. The last thing in the world that I want is for somebody in this room to know what I'm dealing with. The last thing in the world. Conceal it, cover it up, whatever you got to do, put makeup on it and make it pretty because we do not want people to know that there's anything wrong in our hearts. But here's the reality. Romans 3.23 tells us this. We all, all have these issues in our hearts. All of us. And so Jesus is speaking to this and he's trying to get a hold of the people. He's like, yes, If you want to move forward and build the kingdom of God, if you want to see mountains moved, if you want to see your neighbors saved, if you want to see your family members saved, if you want to see your community on fire for Jesus, then sin has got to be dealt with among you. And and, and believe me, I I get it, I hear it all the time, and I, I don't do this for kudos, points, or anything else, the pat's on the back. I am appalled. When I see churches that just want to give a good TED talk and a pick-me-up message and send you home and not address the real things that Scripture talks about. There's real sin in the world, and it has real consequences. And I want to see us move beyond those consequences. And here's the reality. The condition of your heart matters to God. You can look the part all day long. Listen, I could be the most wicked person in the world behind closed doors, 
and I could come out onto a stage and look like the most pious and wonderful pastor. But which one do you think is going to impress the heart of God? Do you think that God, okay, and I'm I'm just using myself, I don't want to throw any other pastors under the bus. Do you think that God is more impressed by pastors who can lead incredible ministries or by followers of Jesus who have surrendered their hearts to say, Father, challenge me, seek my heart and see if there be any wicked way within me and purge it from me. Church, this is, this is what matters. And that's, and pastors are not in any distinction or set apart, but we look at them differently. But for every single one of us, it's not about showing up to church and looking the part. It's, you know, the, that old joke of, you know, fighting in the car on the way here and then getting out and saying, hey, brother, hey, sister, how you doing today? Listen, I get it. You got kids, there are mornings like that, all right? You don't want to bring your, you don't want to bring your dirty laundry into the church. I, I get that, all right? But here's the reality. We've become far too comfortable with sin. We've become far too accustomed to hiding it and concealing it. We've become far too accustomed to just being like, well, God's cool with it. God's cool. Listen, read your Bible. God's not cool with it. He's not okay with it. He said, I sent my son to die for this. I gave my one and only son, the most precious thing to me in the entire universe, I gave him to fix this. Please don't keep living in sin. Please don't think that the matters that are going on inside your heart or that it's just about looking good on the outside. Jesus speaks this. He says the condition of your heart matters. Paul in his letter, or I'm sorry, John in 1 John 1 speaks this way. And this is something we really have to hear because this is that next part, right? For us to to really gain a full understanding. In 1 John 1 verses 5 through 10, he says this. This is the message that we heard from Jesus and now declare to you. God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. God is light, and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but we go on living in spiritual darkness. He's like those secret things inside your hearts, and you're just like, I'm I'm good with God, I'm good with God. We're lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. But if we live in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Woohoo! Isn't that exciting? Let's keep going. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But there's always that hope part. Why? Because Jesus is the hope of every life. But... If we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. It's kind of a hard thing for us to grasp but Jesus is not a kind of savior. He's not a sort of savior. He's not a mostly savior. He says, I want all of you, and if I don't have all of you, I don't have any of you. Your heart, I'm after your heart. And and we talk about this. I know people get frustrated, and especially when it comes to us talking about like giving within the church. Listen, there's nothing else that is more tangible than taking what is in your hand and surrendering to God and saying, God, I give this to you from my heart. 
And that reality that if I can't do that, if I refuse to do that, it speaks to what's going on in my heart. And all of these things that Jesus talked about, and there's probably more that I missed, but there's just 20 of them right there in this message that he gives. He says, these are heart issues. And if you're going to pretend that they're not a big deal, and if you're going to pretend that they don't matter, and you're going to keep going on and saying, I've got fellowship with God and everything is good and I've got the grace of God to cover me. Yes, you do. The grace of God is sufficient. It is sufficient. There is nothing that the grace of God cannot cover, but there is a portion of this that cannot be overlooked. That if we confess our sins to God, if we take them, and openly declare them, God, I have sinned against you. Psalm 51, David says, God, against you and you alone have I sinned and done what is wicked in your sight. Forgive me. Jesus teaches his his disciples to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us for our sins and help us to forgive those who've sinned against us. Listen, look through the scriptures. It's there time and time again. Sin matters to the heart of God. Forgiveness matters to the heart of God. Righteousness matters to the heart of God. It is so imperative, church, that if we want to see the church of God, the bride of Christ moving into the future, that we deal directly with the root issues. But you know what's easier to do? To point to somebody else. You know, their sin is pretty nasty. I'm just working through some things, right? I'm I'm just working it out. I'm working it out. I'm not there yet. Grace of God is sufficient for me because sin always looks better on me than it does on anybody else. Here's the reality. We can't become comfortable in that place. We need to confess our sins before God and say, God, I'm not asking you to make me a better person. I'm not asking you to help me overcome some of the wicked things I do, some of the wicked thoughts that I have. I'm not asking you to clean me up on the outside and and dress it up. In fact, Jesus spoke to people like that. And you know what he, he called them? He said, you're whitewashed tombs. There's death on the inside, but you made it look pretty on the outside. God, that's not what I'm asking for you. I'm asking you to do something that goes against everything that we stand for culturally. God, will you clean me and change me from the inside out? Listen, we're far more focused right now on the outside in. Let me worry about the outside, how I look. Listen, I know every one of you this morning got up and you checked your hair in the mirror. Well, not all of you. Sorry. Looking at you, Mark. We check our appearance, right? You wanted to make sure your outfit kind of matched. And when it didn't, your wife got you something else. (laughs) We check on those things. How's my breath? How's my hair? How do I look? Is it all put together? When the reality of what matters most, and, and, and can we just admit sometimes it'd be a little appalling to us, but you know, somebody could come down this aisle in ratty, torn, smelly, stinky clothes with disheveled hair that hasn't showered in weeks and could kneel right here and say, God, cleanse my heart. Because that's what matters to the heart of God. How healthy is your heart? How healthy is it? Are you daily surrendering? Are you daily dying to Jesus? Or 
Or are you getting more comfortable? Like, I'm okay, but you know, I I realize there are things that'll never be right. They'll never be perfect. And I'm just going to have to let that go and focus on the things that I can change. And listen, God, deal with my heart. Don't just fix the outside. Deal with my heart. Don't just, don't, don't just fix my relationships. Don't just fix my appearance. Don't just fix the way that I talk. Don't just fix the way that I act. Don't just fix the way that people see me. God, I don't care what people see in me. Fix my heart. Fix my heart. In Ezra's time, he just, I mean, he went nuts, tearing his clothes, pulling his beard and his hair. He's so upset How could we ever rebuild the temple of God and not deal with the real issue? How could we ever rebuild a city and make it look pretty and all the nations of the world be like, wow, what a beautiful temple, what a beautiful city, what a beautiful church, what beautiful ministries, what beautiful people, and not deal with what's going on in our hearts? And Ezra rips his clothes and just sits there appalled. Oh God, fix this. Fix this. Jesus says, fix this. Fix this. Don't keep pretending. Church, in a minute, we're going to take communion together. And I know that there are things in church and in Christianity that just seem like, well, we do these things over and over and over again. Haven't we done that whole bread and weird juice thing enough? It's this moment that we take to rededicate in relationship with Jesus, to remind ourselves that just like medicine, God, this is medicine for my heart. This bread that represents your body that was broken for me, it's medicine for my heart. This cup that represents your blood that was shed for me, it's medicine for my heart. God, cause it to go down to the root of who I am and fix the broken things inside of me that maybe I'm hiding or maybe I'm running from or that I don't want to acknowledge. God, fix those things inside of me because I'd rather be challenged on this side of heaven to deal with sin even when it makes me uncomfortable than to enter into eternity and have never addressed it. Deal with my heart, God. Deal with my heart. And church, I think if we would be bold enough to really meet this head on, and listen, please don't think like, Pastor, he knows what I've been up to. He knows it. He must have saw what I did. I don't have to. All I got to do is read Romans 3.23. All I got to do is look this guy in the mirror that I know, who I know isn't perfect either who still makes mistakes every single day. I know that guy's heart needs help. I pray for his heart every day. We've got to be in that place of surrendering those things. God, heal what's really broken in me. We sang it earlier. Come and look in my heart. Come and heal every part. I just want more of you. And we hear that and it's like, oh yeah, God, fix my broken heart. There have been things that have happened to me that have really broken my heart, God. That's not what we're talking about. God, if there's still sin inside of me, and if there's still things that I'm not dealing with, that's a broken part of my heart. Come and heal it for your glory. So we're going to take communion together. What I want to encourage you in this as we do so, it's not about this bread. It's not about this little cup. It's about remembering the covenant that Jesus made with us. Because he said, I'm about to let my body be broken so that your heart could be healed. I'm going to about to let all of my blood be shed because you have covered yourself in stains that I want to wash white as snow. And there's no other way it was ever going to happen. 
And that's why we do this. That's why we remember it. That's why we celebrate it because of what he did for us. But as we do, I just want to encourage you, God, look at my heart and, and pray a bold prayer. There are a couple of prayers in scripture I think are really bold prayers. One of them is David's prayer. He says this, God, search the corners and recesses and the basement of my heart and see if there be any wicked way within me. And if there is, don't let it stay there. Don't let it stay there. Kick it out. Kick it out in Jesus' name. If we make that our prayer church, then we can begin to see God build what only he can build. I want to ask our board members if you'd get into place so that we can begin to serve. In a moment, I'm going to invite you to come down these aisles in front of the doors. And after you've been served, you can make your way up the outside or up the middle here to go back to your seats. But this is a sacred moment. I want to challenge you to keep it sacred as we do this. But to begin to pray in your own heart, God, what do you want to do in me? What do you want to do in me today? How do you want to work in me? So if you would, let's begin to come forward and they will serve you and then we'll take communion together.
What a beautiful picture when we sing this song, this, this reality that Jesus, who is the king of all creation, would step down out of heaven. And the Bible uses this imagery. He would leave his throne in heaven to come down to earth to take the sin of the world upon himself to pay the price for it because he loved you so much. That's amazing love. What other love in all of the world could ever compare to that? That's amazing love. Paul wrote to the Corinthian church and he wanted to to give them really an experience of what it means to celebrate this amazing love. And he says this, I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do it in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Then listen to what he says. Anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of Jesus. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourselves. That is why many of you are weak and sick and even some have died. But if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. Yet when we are judged by God, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned along with the rest of the world. You know what he's saying? Don't just run in there and grab a piece of bread. Don't just run up there and grab a cup. Examine your heart. Because being right with God in your heart is far more significant than this ceremonial remembrance. And I want to take a few seconds here and encourage you to pray that prayer. God, search my heart. And if there's any wickedness in me, please forgive it. Because as I celebrate your forgiveness and mercy, your death and resurrection, I want it to be in a way that truly honors you. So can we just take 15 seconds and do that on your own? God, as we take this moment to remember the death and resurrection of your son, Jesus, we do so in light of the reality that we, without him, are hopeless and lost. And that Jesus' body was willingly broken so that what was really wrong inside of us could be healed. And we thank you that your body was broken for us. You took the punishment for our peace upon yourself.
And as we take this bread, God, we just want to acknowledge your faithfulness to us and pledge our faithfulness to you. In Jesus' name, let's take the bread together. And God, we thank you for the blood of Jesus. For it was only this blood that could wash us and make us whole. And we remember it because it represents the new covenant that you have given to us through your son, Jesus. That we are no longer a hopeless people who cannot uphold a law that only points us to God, but a people who have the spirit of the living God inside of us, ministering to what's truly broken and in need of healing. We thank you for the blood of Jesus. Let's take the cup together. God, we acknowledge you as the King of kings and Lord of lords, that you are over and above all things, and we worship you, God. And I pray that you will convict anything in our hearts that is not of you, because until we deal with it, your church will not be rebuilt and it will not accomplish the work to which it has been called. Through you, we can do these things and see all of it bring glory to your great and holy name. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder if we could sing this bridge together. It's just this commitment to the Lord that says, you are my king. You are my king and I choose you. So if we could sing this as just our way of giving our hearts one more time to God and saying, you are my king and I accept your amazing love. Thank you. 
God, we honor you as our king. And we're so grateful for your sacrifice. And God, I pray that as we go today, you will continually challenge us to be in deeper, more connected and committed relationship with you. That you'll challenge the areas of our hearts that need challenging, God, because that is what truly matters. God, we want to be a church that lives for your glory and a people that live for your glory, God. And let let that be our true worship that we give for your name's sake. We love you, Lord, and we bless your name. I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you. I pray that the Lord himself will lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Our prayer team will be up here at the front. would love to pray with you if you need prayer this morning. If you are visiting, I would love to meet you out in the foyer this morning and just